A man's at odds to know his mind because his mind is all he has to know it with. He can know his heart, but he don't want to. Rightly so. Best not look in there. It ain't the heart of a creature that is bound in the way that God has set for it. You can find meanness in the least of creatures. But when God made man, the devil was at his elbow. A creature that can do anything. Make a machine. And a machine to make the machine. And evil that can run itself a thousand years. No need to tend it. The girl was on death's door when the lieutenant found her, half-starved and suffering from exposure under the searing desert heat. Nevertheless, Whipple was able to nurse the young lady back to health, sharing from his canteen at first and, when she was able, his ration of food. Then, before sending the girl back to her people, the Quitsan, Lieutenant Whipple gifted her a small mirror, just a token of friendship. Following this good deed, he and his party of topographical engineers simply went about their business, surveying the Gila River boundary of present-day southern Arizona. Now, believe it or not, surveyors like Lieutenant Whipple had one of the most dangerous jobs on the frontier, especially back in them early days. Not only were they traveling through mostly uncharted territory and at the mercy of all the Mother Nature could throw at them, but the land they were surveying was also occupied by indigenous tribes who may or may not appreciate their presence. Hell, back in Texas, where Whipple had also plied his trade, the Comanche declared an open season on surveyors, dispatching any and all they could find on site. That said, it was a lucrative career, albeit for those with a high tolerance for adventure. George Washington did it, as did Daniel Boone and even celebrated Texas Ranger John Coffey Hayes. Then there's the curiously named Lieutenant Emil Weeks Whipple, a guy that I'm willing to bet most folks have never heard of. As a graduate of Amherst College and fifth in his class at West Point, Whipple was one of the Army Corps of Engineers MVPs in the late 1840s, which is how he found himself in Arizona saving that damsel in distress. A couple years later, Lieutenant Whipple was back in the same area, with a group of 47 men once more surveying the Gila. The expedition began running low on supplies, so on December 22, 1851, they decided to head downriver to Fort Yuma. Figured they'd not only stock up on much-needed provisions, but also enjoy a nice relaxing Christmas before resuming their toil. Now, Fort Yuma, where Yuma, Arizona now stands, was first established in 1849 as Camp Calhoun. And in those days, this was a highly trafficked area, mostly due to gold seekers headed to California. Matter of fact, so many people were passing through that the men at Camp Calhoun began operating a ferry right there on the Colorado River. In January of 1850, the military departed and the ferry, known as the Yuma Crossing, was taken over by an enterprising businessman by the name of Dr. Abel Lincoln, not to be confused with the future president. And it was a prosperous business. Not only did Doc Lincoln have friendly relations with the neighboring Quitsan people, but he was also making bank. Unfortunately, things took a turn for the worse when John Joel Glanton arrived with his band of scalp hunters. And yes, this is the same gang featured in Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian. While that novel is a work of fiction, many of its characters and scenarios are based on real-life people and events, including the Yuma Crossing. Now, if you've never read Blood Meridian or you're just unfamiliar with John Joel Glanton, he truly was just a very nasty guy. We will be devoting an entire episode to he and his gang here in the near future, 
But long story short, Glanton was a former Texas Ranger and hero of the Mexican-American War turned homicidal maniac. In the late 1840s, he was hired by the Mexican government to help keep the Apache at bay, receiving bounties for each scalp that he and his men were able to harvest. Only thing is, Glanton didn't just stop at killing Apache warriors, or the Apache people in general. Friendly tribes, innocent women and children, and in time, even unsuspected Mexican citizens all fell prey to the scalping knives of Glanton and his men. So prolific was their murder spree that the Mexican authorities ended up chasing the gang out of the country entirely. Straight into southern Arizona, and as fate would have it, Doc Lincoln's Yuma Crossing. Now at first, Lincoln, not knowing who he was dealing with, feared he could use the gang's help with the ferry. This backfired, and in no time flat, Glanton just strong-armed his way into taking over the entire operation. Wasn't long before he and his gang took to harassing, and then just outright robbing, travelers of all they had. Skip ahead to the spring of 1850, and a General Anderson from Tennessee passed through with a large group of Americans, bound for the gold diggings. I reckon Anderson didn't care much for Glanton's attitude, can't blame him there, so he moved down river a ways and had the Quitsan construct a boat for him and his people. And to add insult to injury, once safely on the other side, Anderson presented this vessel to the natives, who commenced to operate in their own ferry and business, much to John Glanton's disgust. Worth noting that it wasn't just Americans who sought passage across the Colorado River. A great deal of would-be prospectors hailed from the Mexican state of Sonora, and surprise, surprise, they really weren't all that fired up to do business with the scalp hunters. As such, they took to using the other ferry operated by the Quitsan, further infuriating Glanton. Now somewhere along the line, an Irishman by the name of Callahan got himself murdered. In the novel Blood Meridian, Callahan helps to operate the Quitsan ferry, but quote, Within days, it was burned, and Callahan's headless body floated anonymously downriver, a vulture standing between the shoulder blades in clerical black, silent rider to the sea, end quote. Now, the truth is, I don't think anyone knows exactly who was responsible for Callahan's death. Some sources do back up McCarthy's narrative that Glanton was to blame, while others assert that it was the Quitsan who did the poor bastard in. Either way, tensions were mounting there on the Colorado. Finally, one of the big Quitsan chiefs, a guy by the name of Howhoney, paid the gang a visit looking to smooth things over, but it was no use. A hot-headed John Glanton declared that going forward, he and his men would kill one Quitsan for every person they dare ferry across the river. Still hoping for a compromise, Howhoney proposed that his people only ferry animals, at which point Glanton picked up a large stick and smashed it down over the chief's head, unknowingly signing his own death warrant in the process. Not long thereafter, on the 23rd of April, 1850, as the gang slept in a drunken midday stupor, the Quitsan people arose in righteous anger, slaughtering Glanton and damn near all of his men. Even poor Doc Lincoln fell prey to the carnage, his body thrown in a fire right alongside Glanton's. And it was this massacre, ironically, that started what's now known as the Yuma War. Yuma, by the way, being a historical classification of the Quitsan people. A large force of volunteers from California arrived, soon followed by the U.S. Army. At first, they garrisoned at the scalp hunters' old camp, but by March, they had moved a short distance away to an old Spanish mission dubbed Fort Yuma. A Captain Davidson took command in November of 51, and according to Frank Robertson, in his History of Yuma, quote, In the following month, both Fort and Ferry were abandoned for a short period, end quote and Fort Yuma would stay abandoned until February of 1852, 
which is exactly how Lieutenant Whipple and his men found it on Christmas Eve. You thought I forgot about Whipple, didn't you? Well, as it turns out, despite the fort being abandoned, Whipple and his men were most definitely not alone. Far from it, as the surveyors would soon be greeted by a force of over a thousand angry Quitsan warriors, still smarting from the many abuses of John Joel Glanton. Whipple tried negotiating to no avail. According to an interpreter, the natives planned on killing him and every single one of his men the following day. Okay, fine. But you just can't give up, right? The good lieutenant set his surveyors up on a hill as they began preparing to sell their lives dearly. Got to imagine there weren't much sleep that night as both arms and souls prepared for the following day's action. Sure enough, by the time the sun rose on Christmas Day, the disposition of the Quitsan had not improved one lick. Painted warriors were massing, getting themselves worked up, and it didn't take no genius to figure out that an attack was imminent. And then, just as things were getting about ready to pop off, a young girl emerged from the riotous crowd. The same young damsel whom Whipple had saved two years prior. She began to frantically point the lieutenant out to the chiefs, explaining what had happened, and they reluctantly called a parlay. Once the Quitsan verified that the girl had indeed accurately identified her savior, the attack was called off and an impromptu feast was thrown. Hell, the Quitsan even ferried Whipple and the others across the river once they was done filling their bellies. A Christmas miracle? Perhaps. Or maybe, to paraphrase Clint Eastwood and the outlaw Josie Wells, for just one day at least, men decided they could live together without butchering one another. And on this particular occasion, that day just so happened to fall on December 25th. Now what that young Quitsan girl's name was, I don't know. Nor am I aware of her fate. But according to the good book, blessed are the peacemakers. As for Whipple, he'd go on to serve in the war between the states. Saw action at the first battle of Bull Run, where he was not only cited for bravery, but also breveted as a lieutenant colonel. That very same year, Whipple would be promoted to a major, and finally, in 1862, a brigadier general of volunteers. He was both a brigade and division commander, overseeing the defenses of Washington, D.C., fought at the Battle of Fredericksburg, where he was once more cited for gallantry, and then sadly, on May 4th, 1863, during the Battle of Chancellorsville, Emil Whipple was mortally wounded by a rebel sniper. He'd hang on long enough to be transported back to D.C., where President Lincoln personally gave him a deathbed promotion to Major General, before passing away on May 7th, at just 44 years of age. Story goes that Lincoln thought so highly of Whipple that he even rode in his funeral procession. And that's about all I've got on Emil Whipple and the Blood Meridian Christmas Miracle of 1851. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for more true tales from the Wild and Wooly West, head on over to wildwestextra.com. While you're there, hit that contact button. Let me know what's on your mind. Now, I do not plan on taking next week off. No rest for the wicked, right? As such, be on the lookout for a brand new episode next Wednesday. A little bit of wider action coming your way. And it will be a shorter episode just like today. Till then, I hope you and yours have a very Merry Christmas or Kwanzaa or Hanukkah or Spaghetti Monster in the Sky Day, whatever you celebrate. Hope you don't end up with a stocking full of coal. I don't know. Some of y'all have been very naughty this past year, so I wouldn't hold my breath. All right, till next time, try not to scalp anyone, please. If you see anyone in distress, try to help them out. And if you plan on operating a ferry, just make damn sure you don't involve anyone by the name of Glanton. Adios.
very naughty. 